It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 113, The Death and Legacy of King David 2 Samuel 23 and 1 Chronicles 22-29 through 29 tells the last days of King David, where the ailing king gives his final speeches to his leaders and provides incredible detail as to the administrative decisions, and there's even chapters dedicated to the treatment of the Levites themselves and the details of the temple project. And there is his final words and commands to Solomon, the next king of Israel. In this episode, we discuss David's final days and his biblical legacy with a few personal reflections upon this great man of God. One phrase in the Bible describes David, that he was a man after God's heart. That's it, and that's what makes him so special. He had God's heart, and his heart was for God, and he lived for God. Whenever he sinned, he was never far from God, and he quickly repented when he received the revelation of his sin. He knew God's heart, and he had a heart to live for God. During his life, his achievements far outweighed his failures, which were abundant, because his heart always came back to God. In fact, in a way, David broke every commandment during his life. But David knew and learned of God's mercy and grace, and through it all, he worshipped God. At the age of 70, David had a life of achievement to look back upon, and his journey was an incredible one. He started as a shepherd in the wilderness, where he killed a lion and a bear, and he worshipped God and became an accomplished musician. He received the anointing to be king at 15, but had to wait until 30 to be king. He had to die to his dreams. He learned the character of Jesus on the run, even after killing Goliath. He discipled the mighty men in the wilderness and won many battles, but at times gave in to fear, and he ran from Saul. And when he became king, he won notable military victories and came into possession of the wealth of the nations. He brought the ark of God to Jerusalem and received the eternal promise, but at the highest point of his career, he gave in to greed, pride, adultery, and murder, and paid the price during his own lifetime, but the achievements and the promises of God remain, because he repented of his sins. David experienced the highest high and lowest lows, but no matter the lows, he never departed from God. He had such a strong relationship with God that he always returned to him. This may be David's greatest achievement, that, and like a son, he never totally departed from his father. He was able to always return like the prodigal son to a loving father that always took him back despite his failures. Looking back at the spiritual themes, there are many themes in this epic time for Israel from the anointing, prophecy, the Christian journey, character development, worship, spiritual warfare, battles against fear, lust, greed, and even pride. 
A study of the life of David covers so much spiritual territory that any man or woman can relate to his journey. And then there's the eyewitness heart connection of the Psalms, which David wrote most of them, which will surely be missed. Here are the final actions of David. Imagine with me the storehouse that Jerusalem has become as David stocks up on every conceivable building material necessary to build the temple of the Lord. And he charges Solomon in front of the leaders to build the temple. First Chronicles 24, 5 David said to the leaders of Israel, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, but this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood in the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I'll give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon. I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son and I will be his father. I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, and may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God as he said you would. May the Lord give you discretion and understanding as he puts you in command over Israel, so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will have success if you are to be careful to observe the decrees and laws that the Lord gave Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and irons too great to be weighed, and wood and stone, and you may add to them. You have many workers, stone cutters, masons, and carpenters, as well as those skilled in every kind of work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work, and the Lord be with you. Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. He said to them, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not granted you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hands, and the land is subject to the Lord and to his people. Now devote your heart and soul to seek the Lord your God. Begin to build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that you may bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the sacred articles belonging to God into the temple, that they may be built for the name of the Lord. It's amazing how David prepared all the supplies for his son Solomon, even gave him the plans, which is sad considering how the ark goes behind a curtain soon. This project would be Solomon's first primary assignment when his father dies. And take note of the gold mention. It states he had 100,000 talents of gold. Next, David organizes the Levites, which I think is pretty cool. There was 38,000 of them. 24,000 would be charge of the temple, 6,000 officials and judges, 4,000 would be gatekeepers, and 4,000 would be full-time paid worshipers. What I think is amazing is that the entire Levite tribe was in full-time ministry. It was their heritage and paid vocation, and they were provided by the Lord through David. Even 4,000 full-time paid musicians were on staff. Imagine the sounds of Jerusalem with these full-time worshipers and the sheer skills acquired over time as a full-time musician. 
So looking beyond the worshipers, there was the gatekeepers too. I get to feel the gatekeepers serve administrative roles as well as intercessory roles. They prayed in the tabernacle of David in worship, but they also served at the city gates, which is pretty cool when one considers Ezekiel 33 and the word about the watchman. Next it appears he called upon the officials of Israel again near his deathbed after mountains of supplies have piled up. There must have been huge piles of supplies of gold and storehouses and huge piles of cedar logs laying around in the backdrop as he spoke to his people. It appears David calls upon the leaders again and makes another speech to his son. 1 Chronicles 28.10 Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner parts, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans for all that the Spirit had put in his mind, for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms, for the treasuries of the temple of God, and for the treasuries for the dedicated things. David would go on and give all the details regarding the weight of the gold and the articles for the temple of the Lord, from the lampstands to the silver tables to the weight of gold for each single dish almost taking me back to the detail that Moses gave regarding the tabernacle and such. And he concludes with a statement that this was the plan of the Lord's hand on me, enabling me to understand all the details of this plan. Then he concludes with 1 Chronicles 28.20. David also said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous, and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished, the divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God, and every willing person skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will obey your every command. Next, David goes into great details the value of gold and treasures David has stockpiled for the temple. For reference, a talent is a measurement of 75 pounds. Multiplying this times the current price of gold puts a talent of gold close to $1 million. This is a strange measurement, considering there's been three millenniums of inflation. But hey, it gives you a reference, no matter how off we are, by comparing the price of gold today to the talents and measurements in the Bible. So when someone gives a thousand talents towards a temple, we're talking about a billion dollars in today's equivalents. So far, it states that David contributed 100,000 talents of gold, which is the equivalent of $100 billion, which is just absurd. But it continues, The sheer volume of gold in this temple will be astronomical. David continues and makes an opportunity for the people of Israel to give to the project. 1 Chronicles 29.3 Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above everything I've provided for this holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 3,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves for the Lord today? 
Then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of the hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God five thousand talents and ten thousand derricks of gold, ten thousand talents of silver, eighteen thousand talents of bronze, and a hundred thousand talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord and to the custody of Jehel, the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So David commits another $3 billion in equivalents in gold, and the leaders another $5 billion. Take note that David committed another $3 billion equivalents in gold, and it said it was the gold of Ophir, whose location he will pass on to his son Solomon, and will become a source of great treasure for Solomon. In response to the billion-dollar offerings, David praises God and pours out his heart. 1 Chronicles 29.10 David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generous as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and it all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you, and give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the King. The next day they made sacrifices to the Lord and presented burnt offerings to him, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand male lambs, together with their drink offerings and other sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. They ate and drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day. Then they acknowledged Solomon, son of David, as king a second time, anointing him before the Lord to be ruler and Zadok to be the priest. So Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord, as king in place of his father David, he prospered and all Israel obeyed him. All the officers and warriors, as well as all of King David's sons, pledged their submission to King Solomon. 
The Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him royal splendor such as no king over Israel ever had known before. So this is it with the speeches. Now we arrive at David's final words. It appears he's on his deathbed, literally in his bed, and his favorite friends and counselors are there and Solomon by his side. 2 Samuel 23. These are the last words of David, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. The Spirit of the Lord came through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, When one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like a light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. If my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. But evil men are all to be cast aside like thorns, which are not gathered with the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses a tool of iron or the shaft of a spear. They are to be burned up where they lie. Interesting ending and final words, huh? Well, Solomon is going to have a great white throne of gold-covered ivory, and he will pass judgments, and some will receive eternal blessings, while others will receive judgment. The type and shadow of Jesus via David is coming to an end, while the type and shadow of the kingdom and the Lord reigning on earth at the end of the age is just beginning. First Chronicles 29.6 David, son of Jesse, was king over all of Israel. He ruled over Israel 40 years, 7 in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. He died at a good old age having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. His son Solomon succeeded him as king. We conclude this episode of Message to Kings with some personal reflections upon the life of David. David's life was full of drama and is exciting with its twists and turns. And for a person who had never heard of David, no doubt they would have been amazed at the drama of his life. And to add the spiritual dimension, one could study his journey for years. All the future kings of Judah will have a report card at the end of their life, and it will read like this. From here on out, at the end of the lives of the kings of Judah, there will be a phrase, and it will be something like this. That the king didn't walk in the ways of his father David. Or he walked in the ways of his father David with the exception of not removing the high places. David is God's standard for kingship, even despite his failures. Upon personal reflection, what impresses me the most was the fact that he lived in an old covenant, the Old Testament times, with a very strict set of Levitical rules. But in the midst of this time, he found and came to understand not just the old covenant, but the new covenant of relationship, mercy, and grace. God was so pleased with David for worshiping before him and bringing the ark to Jerusalem and doing what religiously could have been considered disobedient by placing the ark in his tent instead of the tabernacle. And by this, David showed his understanding of something greater, 
relationship with God trumped the religious system, something Moses and other greats had come to understand. It's his understanding of mercy and grace and how it trumped the law of Moses and how relationship and love in God's heart was his key to every breakthrough. Considering David didn't have the Holy Spirit in him, like we do in the New Covenant, his achievements have to be given even greater weight than previously considered. In an inferior covenant, through the heart of worship and relationship, he found the God of the New Covenant. It's truly stunning to look at his achievements from this perspective, that he was so successful in the time of the Old Testament without the indwelling Holy Spirit and full understanding of what we have today. For when Jesus came and walked the earth, he was sometimes called a rule breaker and contrary to the law of Moses by some. And it was no wonder they asked Jesus, are you the son of David? For Jesus truly was a descendant of David through the bloodline of his mother and the fulfillment of the prophecy of the eternal throne. So it's David's true authentic relationship with God, devoid of legalism and beyond the scope of the law of Moses that is so powerful. Think with me here. David encountered the living God with the sheep, and at that time with Samuel and the oil. When he grew and heard the Levites and the priesthood and the ways of the law of Moses, he must have been excited yet frustrated when he heard that only the high priest could go in the holy place only one time a year and meet God. But then again, the ark wasn't even at the tabernacle. What a messed up world and religious system that he grew up in. But to hear about the greats of the past and their encounters with God. But then again, David had already reflected on his own experience and how he had encountered God. It's an interesting world and contradiction, and there's so many of them, that David lived and breathed in. So now that David has become king, you can see that he's rebuilt the religious system, yet with its own set of lenses and with a taste of the new covenant and worship mixed in. Now, taking David's life and his legacy, today it's quite easy to see the journey of David in most people's lives with emotional ups and downs. And beyond this, go to any Bible-believing church today. What's the message? Relationship with Jesus. It's not religion and rules and regulations. That never gets you to heaven. Morality can't be legislated. Morality and faith comes through a relationship with God. David knew this and challenged the authorities and rules of his day. And when he came into a place of authority, he passed those on to his people, those challenges, those open doors to have that relationship. It's relationship in God's heart that David had and was after more every day. His desire was to know God in his ways and pursue his heart. Moses told God, we will not leave this place without your presence. And later he said, show me your glory. David in so many ways was like a friend of God, like Moses. In David's achievements and disasters, he still loved God and always came back to him. And like so many pastors say today, our knowledge of God has to pass from our head to our heart. David didn't miss God's promises, even despite his failures. But every time he failed, when he was on his knees, he cried out to God, and God forgave him. And despite the consequences of his sins, God never took away his promises from David, and he became the benchmark for future kings. So now we take it 
truly personal. Because the promises of a personal relationship with God is for you and me as well. But we have the promise of the new covenant in full deliverance and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us to live a full, active, and Holy Spirit-inspired life. An even better covenant is available to us than David had. Have you ever wondered why you can't kick a habit or you're hanging on to something that you know is wrong and you truly don't have the strength to say no? It's because you haven't received the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you to live that life of purpose with God. This is the hidden power for believers and the mystery of the new covenant that Paul explains in his letters. Have you ever wondered why some people are always full of joy and at peace despite whatever's going on around them? It's the Holy Spirit. This is available for you as well. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people, but in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit indwells believers. Once a person willfully turns from their own ways and truly accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within them, and they are empowered for it. it was Jesus who said that when this happens, they are to be born again. This promise is available to you, and it says that Jesus is standing at the door and knocking at your heart to be born again. I had a girl in college come to me and ask me a question. She said, what percentage chance do you think you would go to heaven if you died at this very moment? I thought about it for a while, and I told her 65%. You ever consider this question? Think about it to yourself. What's your answer? Think about it. And say it out loud to yourself. What percentage chance would you go to heaven if you died today? Well, this girl smiled at me and she recited John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. She said that if you commit your life to God and just believe that Jesus took away your sins and walk with him, yours is eternal life. She said it's 100% or 0%. When she told me this, I was baffled because I'd gone to a Methodist church my whole life up to that point in a Catholic high school. But this was new to me. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, will not die, but have eternal life. So this is where I have to go. I really have to pass on the knowledge and share with you the free gift of this relationship with God, which begins with God's salvation and a walk with him. If this appeals to you and you'd like to take further steps toward or even back to God, or just want to welcome that indwelling Holy Spirit, I invite you into this relationship. In the gym, or in the comfort of your home, or in your car, or wherever you are, please pray with me this prayer and begin a relationship anew today with Jesus Christ. God, I confess that I'm a sinner, and that there are areas of my life that I need your help. I repent of these areas and turn to you. 
Please forgive me of my sins and wash me with your blood. And thank you for the cross. God, I give my life to you and surrender all my cares and concerns and be my Lord and Savior. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. So if you prayed this prayer and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, rest assured you are a new creation and you have entered into the new covenant and God has marked you for special favor and blessing and to walk in God's ways and the strength of the Holy Spirit. And in this Christian journey, the old way of life is a thing of the past. And if you ever stumble, always do what David did and run back to God and back to God and back to God. And as you mature in your walk with God, learn to understand the voice of God in your life and grow every single day in your relationship with God. So this wraps up our study and look at King David. I can't believe it. Looking back at our timelines and previous episodes, we started to look at David and the anointing of him as king over a year ago. I never thought it would take this long. Yet nor did I think we'd cover such territory in such detail. It's been an enjoyable journey and I've learned a ton and I hope you have as well. And thank you to everyone who's joined us for this journey and look at the life of David. As always, please send us your feedback at messagetokings at gmail.com.